You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome founder of Love After Baby, Shayna Shockett to the show. Shayna is a mental health counselor and a Gottman-trained therapist who is focused on helping couples in their relationship adjust to bringing new baby home. I don't know about you, but this was one of those things that like, I knew there would be some differences in our relationship, but I really did not understand the depths to which our relationship would change and almost take on a new identity after adding a baby and children to the mix. And this is exactly what Shana specializes in. Today, I've asked her on the show to help us understand how can we resolve and come back together after conflict? Like, what is conflict? Is it always bad or can it be helpful? Does conflict mean like drop down, drag out, you know, below the belt fighting? Or can it be disagreements that we have with one another? And how do we navigate that when we disagree or we don't see eye to eye? But what I've heard from many of you is that we struggle with what to do after there's been conflict, a fight or disagreement. Maybe there is some silence or some stonewalling, or maybe things get swept under the rug. Many people have different reactions or responses in these moments, but sometimes it can feel like we don't come back together and there isn't truly a repair that happens. Shana and I are going to dive into all of this. We're going to talk about how disagreements aren't necessarily a bad thing and how to have a fight or disagreement in a healthy versus unhealthy way. Shana gives us some really concrete steps for processing through or talking through disagreements and situations after, and ways to reduce friction in your relationship after baby. This is a really practical and concrete episode. And if you miss any of the pieces, don't worry. It gets turned into a blog post where you can go and see all of the concepts and steps that she mentions there. There are some practical tools and skills that you're going to take away from this episode, and I can't wait. Let's hear my chat with Shayna. I've been hearing from a lot of mamas who feel like they're at the end of their rope with their relationships. If you find yourself constantly at odds with your partner, boiling inside with resentment at the unfair distribution of responsibilities, or avoiding sex and intimacy, you are not alone. In the best of times, relationships can feel like an uphill battle. When you factor in the pandemic and the increased load that most moms have taken on, it's no wonder so many of us are struggling. But when you leave the resentment unchecked, it creates even more problems. Arguing in front of the kids, struggles with intimacy, and lower self-esteem and satisfaction in your relationship. Lack of intimacy and resentment become a vicious cycle shaking up even the best of relationships. Dr. Asherina Reem, Psyched Mummy and I have created something for those of you who find yourselves in that cycle. The Reconnect Bundle, how to move past unfairness in your relationship and build real connection. The bundle includes two powerful relationship workshops, unpacking resentment and navigating intimacy. We cover the different types of intimacy, building safety and emotional connection, how to remove the roadblocks that are preventing intimacy, communicating in productive ways, redistributing the parenting load in a fair way, even if it's not equal, how to break out of common cycles and patterns that break down relationships, and so much more. You don't have to sit back and watch your relationship fall into disharmony. You don't have to bottle up your feelings to avoid conflict until it festers and damages your intimacy. We can give you the tools you need to break the cycle and reconnect with your partner. 
Go to happyasamother.co slash reconnect to get your relationship back on track. That's happyasamother.co slash reconnect. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Gina, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today. We were just chatting off air about the coordinating we've been trying to do to make this happen and to be here together. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. I've been waiting for this a while, and I'm happy that we are finally here and able to share this great info for moms. It's so exciting to see all of the different niches and professions emerge on social media and on Instagram. I feel like when I started, it was like late 2018, early 2019, I was fumbling around trying to find my way. And it wasn't a normal thing for therapists to be on social media at that time. How did you gravitate towards and take to social media and start your platform? So it's funny, I probably started around that same time but I was not niched. I was just being general therapist for millennials who are just, you know, trying to make their way through life with random inspirational stuff. So some stuff was relationship oriented. Some stuff was just random mental health, gratitude journaling, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Because I didn't kind of have a central message I wanted to share. I would just post these random images, like a little quote or whatever. And I didn't really have a content plan or who I'm helping specifically or how I'm helping them specifically. And it was just very general. And then I started seeing a lot more moms in my practice. And around mid late 2019, I was expecting my second kid and experiencing the differences of motherhood when you're pregnant and having a toddler and all of that. And at the same time, in my private practice, a lot more moms were coming in because, you know, millennials were in that stage. Mm. And I had one specific client who came in that was already in her mid to late 40s and her kids were leaving the college. And she was sharing how her relationship with her partner was non-existent for the last 20 years or mm. so. It's been all about the kids. And she's almost scared that when the kids go off to college, she's living with a stranger and what's that going to be like? Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, I had several clients with new babies and there was one in particular who came in and was saying how her and her husband got along so well. And then suddenly they have this baby and now her mother-in-law came to move in with her to help out with the baby. And that's brought up some drama and there's frustrations with like, she was able to work from home then also. So about the expectations of working from home 
but then also having to do things for the house because she's working from home and different relationship struggles. And I started seeing this commonality. And the thing that made it click for me was a post in a Facebook group I was in for moms, Hmm. where a mom wrote that she's, you know, about, I think, 11 weeks postpartum at that point. And her baby's having a hard time sleeping. So she's just driving around trying to get her baby to sleep in the car. And her husband didn't do anything bad. He's a really nice person, but she doesn't feel like she wants to go home. And like, she doesn't feel like she loves him anymore. Hmm. And everybody's commenting like, oh, been there. This is so hard. All these different kind of comments. And I came in and like, as a wife, mom and therapist, let me tell you, your feelings are very common and they're normal. And also remember, it doesn't mean your relationship is in a bad place. You have a lot of hormones. You're in a very new stage. Your body's still recovering. Your mind's still recovering. And, you know, give yourself some grace, take time, and you can make your relationship better again. You're just going through a really hard phase. So having those few things happen around the same time just made it click for me Mm -hmm. that I wanted to help moms in their relationships after having kids. And Love After Baby was born. It never ceases to amaze me the invisible loads that we get like blindsided by when we enter into parenthood. And I think that relationship adjustment is something like we anticipate a little bit, but like not to the depths of what it goes through. And you're describing something where when couples go into adjusting to parenthood and their relationship maybe hits some lows Mm -hmm. that it hasn't been in before. If we tend to be all or nothing thinking, if we tend to be black and white or perfectionistic and we think, oh my gosh, this is the beginning of the end. And we like really take that as a sign or something, then it can really start to spiral and create a wedge, right? Like I think about being postpartum and like going through bouts of, I don't know, sex-free time because of recovering after birth or like these different things and thinking like, oh my gosh, is this the beginning of us growing apart? Like everybody says that we will or that people do. So I think it's such an important conversation for us to have. And the work that you're doing is so important to like highlight this transition that you're going to experience, but it doesn't have to be to the detriment of the relationship. It doesn't have to go down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And a lot of times when sometimes these posts, the ones that will go more viral, so to speak, in terms of they'll get more exposure to non-audience people, I'll get comments like, this is why I never want to have kids, or you make it sound terrible to have kids, or I never want to have kids. But the reality is that any transition in life is going to come with some hard parts. Any goal or something you want to accomplish is not going to be all roses and butterflies and sunshine. There are some hard parts to it but there's so many enjoyable parts as well. So, you know, if you wanted to run a marathon, it's not all like good moments till you get to the finish line. There's mornings Mm -hmm. you have to wake up where you're just not in the mood. There's times where your body is aching. Some people get injuries along the way. You have to be really conscientious about what you're putting into your body. There's so much that goes into it, but because there's something that is really meaningful to you, like getting to that finish line, it makes it worth it. And being a mom and having kids, if that's something that's aligned with your values and something you want in life, there is nothing like it for people that want it. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's going to create shifts in the relationship, but those don't have to be permanent. And in any case, even if you don't have a kid, you're bound to have some conflict in your relationship. So you can't Mm -hmm. say like, okay, we're going to avoid everything bad by not having a kid. 
So having a kid will create different conflicts that you might not have had had you not had a kid, but having a kid bonds you in a certain way and creates so much meaning as a family for the two of you that you wouldn't have without a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And I see that, like that commitment to the goal or that knowing why you're putting in the effort to do the things to really see it through. Yeah. Uh, one of the questions I feel like I get is how to rebound or move through conflict. So like, it, I, I'm going to like paint a little picture for us. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I've heard this from clients. I hear this in DMs all the time where maybe mom is postpartum and sleep deprived, or maybe we've got postpartum anxiety or depression or something going on. And, or maybe partner is not, you know, contributing or they're going through their own mental health challenges, whatever, you know, the adjustment situation is. And there's maybe like a rage blow up or a snippy moment or something that is just not typical to us. Yeah. And it can be reacted to in a few different ways, I feel like. But knowing how to rebound from that or repair is really tricky for people. So I'd love for us to dive into some of that today. Because do you find that like people don't really know how to make amends or like move through it? Yeah. So there's also, like you said, that all or nothing thinking where people think that all conflict is bad. Or Mm. if we have conflict, that means we're in a bad place or my relationship isn't good. But, you know, I'm a huge fan of the Gottmans and they share all the time how conflict can help you grow in a relationship. It's almost necessary And that's different than, let's say, having full-on fights. But conflict helps you see where needs are or are not being met. It helps you understand dreams or desires of the other person that are not being met. Without having that discussion or even disagreement or conversation that comes up where you're able to discuss differences, and sometimes they can get heated, then you won't know where certain things are not aligned or where certain needs aren't being met if it's not voiced. And that doesn't mean that a relationship needs to have big blowups, but whenever you have two different people, they're never going to see eye to eye on 100% of things. That's just really Mm. not likely or possible. Maybe there is a couple out there, they would be like in the point zero 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 zero. I don't know how many zeros, 1% right? There's always going to be something that you maybe feel a little bit differently on. And for you, it might feel like a bigger or a smaller issue, but it always feels good to feel heard and seen and validated. And that's what you can get through conflict when done right. Mm. And, you know, John Gottman also says that happy couples are not so different from unhappy couples. They also have disagreements. They just repair faster and more often. Mm-hmm. You bring up a really interesting point. I used to see couples in the children family practice I worked at before niching down in the work that I do. Mm-hmm. And if a couple came in and there was no conflict or disagreement, it was a major red flag for me because somebody is just pacifying and pleasing and being overly agreeable to the other person then. Somebody is sacrificing themselves in the relationship if there is never a disagreement of sorts, right? Because it's just not possible. Yeah, that's what I say. I say if, if you never have a disagreement about anything, then one of you is not voicing how you feel about certain things. Exactly. You know, if you're really early on in the relationship, then either you haven't gotten to that point yet, or those things don't feel like a big deal yet. 
So, mm. you know, when you're in that limerence stage or in that honeymoon stage of your relationship, you might not like something your partner does, but it seems so small or big deal. Like you don't mind that they go take a cigarette every time you leave the restaurant, or you don't mind that they drink too many drinks when you're out at social mixers, or you don't mind that they stay out late with their friends or whatever. Mm. But as life goes on and as stressors increase in life, and as those new butterfly feelings subside a little bit, because naturally they're not meant to be there all the time long-term, those things will start to bother you a little bit more. So it could be that you didn't get to the point where things bother you enough to voice them, but there still are things that bother you a little bit. And eventually you have to talk about them or it's going to evolve into something that becomes a much bigger issue because you've been keeping it down. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. So it's a great reframe for us off the bat that disagreement is actually healthy in our relationship. And how we manage or respond to these disagreements, I feel like really makes or breaks the situation. You had talked about sort of conflict versus fighting. So I see this as like unhealthy versus sort of healthy fighting and disagreeing. Can we kind of outline those so that people can get a bit of a context of what that looks like? Yeah. And this is great because a lot of times when people are like, I don't fight with my partner. I'm like, okay, because you're viewing fight with a certain definition, that is not how I mean it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, fight can be a spectrum. And what we mean as fights that are, that can be good is typically some sort of conflict or disagreement, not what comes to mind for most people with fighting. Mm -hmm. And I would say fight fair. So fighting fair would look more like conflict or disagreement versus what somebody pictures when they think of an all out fight. So what people picture when they think of a fight is where there is a lack of respect there. Somebody's trying to win. It's me against you. I'm trying to convince you that my perspective is right. You're trying to convince me that your perspective is right. There's one winner here. We're not on the same team. We're not trying to find common ground. Where disagreement is, we have different perspectives, but we want to be able to hear each other out on what our perspectives each are. We want to be able to validate the other person, even if we don't 100% agree with them. And we want to find that common ground where we both feel heard and we both feel seen and we both feel like our needs are being met. Mm-hmm. It's a really important distinction because it's like we picture this gloves off, drop down below the belt. And, I, and I've seen and heard some pretty offensive and hurtful things said, you know, and that is like at a stage of maybe contempt in the relationship, as Gottman would yeah. say, or at like there's such like resentment has taken such a stronghold there that we're talking like way on that polar end of the spectrum than those types of fights. It could not even be a phase of your relationship. It could just be you're really triggered that day or you're really burned out that day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been there where I've said things that I regret, even knowing everything that I know, because mm-hmm. you just get to a point where you're really frustrated about something or you're overtired, you're overstimulated, and something feels really bad and you don't catch yourself before. But the beautiful thing is that you can always repair. So we've come out of, let's say, one of those more fights or conflicts. like Because obviously when we have disagreements or we talk things through productively, we don't come out the other end still like, you know, feeling wounded or hurt. Like usually right. there's some resolution there. 
So when we've had these challenging disagreements where we either have had to walk away or there's been an exchange of hurtful words and we feel really invalidated for whatever reason, I feel like before we even get into how to solve that, I feel like there are some themes in ways that people respond after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, One that comes to mind is to sort of stonewall or ignore. What other ones come to mind for you in terms of how people react? So some people try to like just brush it under the rug and pretend Mm -hmm. like everything's back to normal, but because they didn't actually repair from that conflict and they never got to a resolution, it will pop up at another time when that idea or conflict theme comes up. Mm -hmm. And now instead of it starting from zero, because it's a new thing that they're disagreeing about, they're already at, you know, 50, 60, 70, because they have all that built up. Mm. feelings of not feeling seen and feeling upset and feeling hurt from the last conversation that never got resolved. And so they're starting this one in a much more loaded way. So, mm-hmm. you know, sweeping it under the rug is not helpful. I know that I'm a big proponent of not following the rule of never go to sleep angry, because if mm. you're exhausted and if you are physiologically flooded, it's not a good time to finish the conversation right now. But I always tell clients, even though I'm not telling you to finish the conversation right then, I want you to come up with a specific time when you are going to revisit it when you are calm. So maybe that's on the weekend when your kids are napping or playing over a cup of coffee. Maybe that's while you're driving somewhere. You have to figure out the time that's right for you and when you're calm and when you're able to have this conversation in a rational way. Because if you don't revisit that and try to resolve it and you just say, okay, we're not talking about this now because we're flooded. So we're just going to push it away. Right. And like avoid it. It will come up again with a vengeance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do stonewall, like you said. Yeah. I can see that walking away being used like an avoidance tactic. And if there isn't like a concrete plan and agreement to come back around, then all we do is walk away and disengage, right? One other one I want to say that people might relate to is that one of you might feel like you're the more easygoing one or... It's Mm. not worth letting my relationship fall apart from this, which it's not. Most of these disagreements are about silly little things that are not worth falling apart for. Mm -hmm. But telling yourself, you know, it's not worth it. And then just putting it, that's the same kind of thing almost as brushing it under the rug. Right. Because even though you don't want it to be something that you hold on to or tears the relationship apart, you still want to address it so that it doesn't come up again in the same way. And so you do feel heard and seen. Mm-hmm. It's a fine line between like choosing your battles yeah. and not, you know, just swallowing things and like have resentment brewing under the surface, right? Yeah. And you also have to look at like, okay, is it a small one-time thing that's never going to come up again? Then yeah, like swallow it and choose to move on. If right. it's something that comes up repeatedly or comes up, in a similar but different format repeatedly, then it's something you need to address. Mm -hmm. And then there obviously are little things that you can completely look past that are smaller things. For example, something that comes up so often with women, I don't know why it's the example everybody loves, is when the like husband leaves socks on the floor. Mm. And for some women, that is incredibly irritating. For some women, they don't care at all. For some women, they don't like it, but it's not enough to like irritate them. So Mm -hmm. if you can genuinely say, I don't like that my husband does this, but it doesn't bother me and it doesn't make me build up resentment inside towards him, it could be something you choose to just look past. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, an example of this in my mind is like the morning rush trying to get three kids out of the house here is like a wild jungle some mornings, right? Yeah, I'm sure. And my husband and I, I would say, could be a little bit like snippier with each other in those moments. And I am a very strong woman who will not tolerate disrespect. So like I could really die on that hill if I wanted to. But in that moment, we're both sort of snippy. I'm probably actually more the snippier one. Let's just put that out there. I don't know what he would say. But (laughs) so I'm really, this is really about me. But it's like, we could really address those smaller moments. But then when I step out and look at the theme of our relationship, there's such a mutual respect and regard there that like, I can see the context and I can see why, you know, we were running late, we're wrangling three children, they were screaming, it was just a lot of pressure. And, you know, we get irritable in that situation. And it is what it is. So I think that that's like, an example of how we can sort of determine, like, is this really out of alignment with my values? Do I really feel like this is a theme? Am I being mistreated? Or is this just kind of like situational and it's right. not such a deal breaker or or a big situation? Right. And you can also, like you said, you know that it's something that comes up. So you can kind of say, what would help us feel less tense in that stage? So maybe it's waking up earlier. We just had that conversation this week, actually. We yeah. were like, these mornings aren't going great. What can we do as a team to work together? Right. Getting up earlier, backtiming it. So there's one option is figuring out ways to mitigate that situation so it doesn't get stressful. But knowing that with the way life goes, even with those plans, it's still not going to go according to schedule sometimes. And there will be times you are snippier. But knowing that it's about that situational thing, allows you to take a step back and know that it's not definitive of your relationship. So for example, I know, my husband and I both know, that when we don't have help in the house, that things get a little bit more tense because we both work and we have two kids and life is busy and things get messy. And while we'll each try to straighten up and because I work from home before I start my sessions for the day, I'll you know put away any toys that are in random places but I'm not doing a full deep clean of the house. And, Mm -hmm. you know, then I get exhausted by the end of the day when the kids come home. So things run differently when we have help or not. And unfortunately, we haven't found that one person that's been with us long term yet. So we know that when we are in between people and I'm interviewing and trying to find someone that their schedule works for us, et cetera, and that my kids get along with them, they get along with my kids that I get along with them because I work from home. I need somebody who's, you know, pleasant, but also like not going to talk to me all day because I'm in and out of my office getting the coffee or whatever. Mm. So you have to find that right person. And then sometimes you do find the right person, but then something happens in their family and they have to move or, you know, they go back to school for something or whatever it is, doesn't end up working out. And then I know that, it's very possible at some time now till I find the right next person, there will be a situation where conflict comes up because that is a trigger for us when we don't have help. And when, you know, things aren't getting cleaned by somebody else when we're both working. Mm, The more pressure, trying to juggle it more, you're both sort of put past your capacity because of all the things you're juggling. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know that. And so we'll try to manage as best we can. And then sometimes it goes okay. And sometimes it even goes great, depending on what our capacity is at that point. Mm. But then sometimes, as hard as we try and as aware as we are, it still gets to that breaking point, but it doesn't have to define us. And we get over it pretty quickly because we understand where it's coming from. 
I really love that illustration or like the, you know, imagery you said around, we're not starting from zero when we're holding on and harboring and building resentment. It's like the pressure gauge. I feel like if we give it like a visual to it, it just like ticks up and ticks up and with no repair and with no resolution, we're bound to be bomb building, right? Like we're bound to be preparing for some big conflict and whatever that means and looks like to the listener, right? That looks different, I feel like for so many couples. So, So I think that really what we're here to dive into today then is how do we relieve the pressure? How do we maybe, maybe not fully reset it, but like buy some breathing room again so that we don't feel so on edge with our partner after these conflicts or these miscommunications. Yeah. So one thing is to be aware of Gottman's four horsemen Mm -hmm. and trying not to engage in them, which are criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. In brief, criticism is blaming the other person. Defensiveness is not taking responsibility for the part that you play in whatever is going on. Stonewalling is when you kind of just give your partner the silent treatment or retreat, don't engage. And contempt is when you are having that lack of respect, having superiority, having resentment, all of that. So you want to avoid those and you want to be able to communicate about things. So I guess we'll talk soon about what buffers you can have to avoid getting into the conflict to begin with or Mm -hmm. having these kind of things come up. But let's say you've just had a really heated conversation. The Gottmans have a really great five-step process in kind of processing after the fight. Okay. And they do specify that when you process this fight, make sure you're not still emotionally attached to it and heated. You want to feel very calm. And so in the stonewalling example where people kind of shut down, that's because inside they're feeling so triggered and flooded. Their heart rate is bumping. Their blood pressure is probably pretty high. Their brain fight center is really active. There's all these things going on and the rational part of their brain is now offline. So Mm. there's no good way for them to continue this conversation. It's just going to get to a negative place. They are going to say things they don't really mean to say in ways they don't mean to say them. So that's not the time to continue the conversation, but you also don't want your partner to feel like, hey, I'm just checked out here. This doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. So they give the idea of self-soothing and that's to help your body calm down. And what they've seen through research is it takes about 20 minutes. You should engage in something relaxing to calm your body. So whether that's reading a book, looking at a magazine, scrolling on your phone on something that's not going to be triggering for you, watching some comedy clips on YouTube, taking a walk around the block, but also obviously being aware of your relationship dynamic and how is my partner going to feel if I just walk out of the house right now? Does that make them feel a certain way? So you might be okay and say like, Hey, I just need to take a breather right now. And sometimes it might feel okay. And sometimes it's just not the right step for your relationship. So knowing what works for you to help you calm down, and then you can come back with the repair. That's not necessarily in the immediate aftermath because Mm -hmm. you want to feel really calmed down and have no like emotional heatedness about this issue. And the way they describe it is almost like, let's say you're in the theater and you're in the audience of the theater and you're viewing this like disagreement or fight as being on the stage and you're not actually attached to it. It's something you're viewing as kind of like an out-of-body experience almost. Mm -hmm. And now let's talk about it. 
So the five steps that they give for talking about it are first to share your feelings and just the feeling, not going into why you felt that way, what happened that made you feel that way, just sharing your feeling and your partner sharing their feeling as well. Mm. And once you each share your feeling, then you describe your realities. And reality is plural because every person has their subjective reality. So we're not saying this is what happened. We're saying this is my experience of what happened. Mm -hmm. Because you might say, I felt like you weren't validating me. Your partner's like, what do you mean? I said this or that. And that's so often the issue in communication and relationships where we don't know what's going on with somebody or we're not seeing something from the same perspective they are. And we feel like they're not doing something and they feel like they are doing it. Mm -hmm. They're just not doing it the way that we would expect to have it done. So sharing your realities and when you get like, let's say you take turns. So let's say I were to share my reality first, then my partner before going on to their reality would try to summarize and say like, did I get this right? Is this what you experienced? And then share how they experienced the event. And then I would say, so this is how you experienced what happened. Mm -hmm. And they say, yeah, that's right. And if it wasn't right, you can say, okay, so what am I missing here? What do I need to know to understand better where you are? So remember first, that's we're sharing our feelings. Then we're sharing our reality of the event. Then we think about what things might've been triggering us in this situation. So is there a past kind of way that this has played out in other relationships of ours or in our childhood that got triggered? So like we said about before, the pressure gauge It's not just this isolated experience where my partner is making this comment about me being on time or what I ate or how I prepped dinner or how I cleaned. It's also about what my brother used to say to me, or it's also about Mm -hmm. what my friend used to say to me or what my mom used to say to me that already has me feeling sensitive towards that idea that got triggered. Mm -hmm. So being aware of any triggers that have nothing to do with this specific situation or your partner, but got ignited, so to speak, by the situation, then each of you take responsibility. So we each own up to how we played a part in this conflict. And sometimes there's somebody who's more right and somebody who's more wrong, but that's not the point here. It's not about figuring out who's more right and who's wrong because both of you contributed to this conflict in some way. Maybe one of you was dismissive. Maybe one of you was just overtired and wasn't responding in the right way. And obviously this doesn't apply in, in relationships where there's abuse. Mm. That's something that's more extreme that needs to be like, you need to get help, call the abuse line or, you know, really don't always look at it as your fault if you're in that kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. And also don't take it as, oh, I'm being abused because blah, blah, blah. Be in tune to what it really is. Mm. So, and that's tricky because sometimes people who are involved in abuse don't realize it's going on. Mm-hmm. But this is where there are two people who are, mentally healthy and stable, or if somebody is struggling with something mentally, they are getting help from a therapist and that's not what's going on here. Mm -hmm. So we want to be sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. But with two healthy individuals, you want to be able to take responsibility for the part you played in this conflict. And then once you each take responsibility and acknowledge how you participated in this, you make a plan for how you can do better next time or how you can try to avoid this kind of thing. So 
you know, let's say you and your husband were playing this out after one of the mornings that went more stressful Mm -hmm. than others. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can say, I felt really overwhelmed or I felt disrespected or I felt unappreciated, let's say, Mm. whatever your feelings are. You label your feeling, he labels his feeling. And then you describe your reality. You can say, I heard you saying this, that, you know, made me feel like whatever it was that you felt when they said that. Mm -hmm. And then he can say, okay, I'm hearing you felt that I said this. And here's what I meant when I said this thing. Here's the message I was going for. Mm -hmm. And then you say, oh, okay, so you were really trying to say this. And then you can talk about triggers. You know, we're both really rushed and we're both really tired and the kids are wired in the morning. And, you know, there's that pressure of getting out on time or whatever it is. And then taking responsibility might be like your partner might say, I could have said this differently. And you can say, I could have received what you said differently Mm -hmm. and whatever that was. And then we come up with a plan. How can we do better next time? So do we prepare certain things the night before so we're not as rushed in the morning? Do we set our alarms for 10 minutes earlier so we have a little bit of more leeway? Mm. Whatever it is. And we come up with a plan. And we also know that even with that plan, even when we have the best intentions, life sometimes gets in the way and the plan just doesn't work out. But that doesn't mean that it's a failure and that doesn't mean that we're doomed We just have to keep going. Anytime you're working on a goal or trying to build a new habit, it's not like magically you never struggle with not doing that thing again. You're going to have times where you backtrack, but you can always get back on the right path. And it sounds like in that planning and reevaluating and problem solving phase, some of those ways to avoid conflict could come up because you're saying that there are some ways that we can sort of get ahead of the conflict even to begin with. In this situation that we're talking about, it's like very practical things like not having so much time pressure, for example, Mm and in this situation, but what might be some others? So weekly check-ins are great. Having that time when you talk about what's going well in the relationship and acknowledge something they're doing well, and then also share if there's a need that's not being met, like something you want to be worked on. You want to limit it to one specific thing. Because when we start getting a laundry list of everything we're doing wrong, Mm. we just check out. Mm -hmm. So share one thing you want to be worked on. And then also discuss any big plans coming up that week or any big things in the family. And depending on your family dynamic, having, let's say, a family calendar can be helpful if you have kids who have a lot of after school stuff and parties and family stuff. So those are things that can very often contribute to stress. If you have these really busy schedules and one of you feels like you're the only one who's on top of it all or the only one who even knows what's going on. Mm. I know that Eve Rodsky in her book talks about giving, when you do delegate something to a partner, give them like A to Z. So she was saying, let's say that she would ask her husband to take their kid to a birthday party. Then she would still be the one making sure what time it is, making sure to buy the gift, making sure to wrap the gift, telling her husband what time he had to leave, where he had to go. And she realized that she was getting frustrated that she was still doing it, but kind of wasn't getting the credit for doing it because he was the one who actually dropped her off. Mm -hmm. So they made a decision that whatever one of them takes on, now they would do A to Z. So for example, birthday invite came in, she forwards it to him. He handles getting the present, making sure it's wrapped, getting her on time, the carpool, whatever. Mm -hmm. So having those conversations about what tasks you're each going to do in the house or how you can each contribute 
and how you can help the other person and be there, knowing that in some seasons, one of you is going to be doing more than the other. Mm -hmm. And in other seasons, the other one will be doing more. It totally ebbs and flows depending on postpartum or the age of your children or work deadlines or whatever various things. It's never like we don't ever aim for a 50-50 split, right? It's like, I feel like that ball is constantly kind of in motion back and forth as long as you're communicating with each other to reestablish what the norms are in this season, then it can work for you. Yeah. And it happens by default with life, just because if let's say you have a baby, naturally your partner is going to have to kick in for more of the physical things, but you don't want it to be just because of that default, because then you feel resentful. Mm. So have a conversation about it. And also having that culture of appreciation in your relationship where you're acknowledging things that each person's doing because the Gottmans found that when they, they did an experiment with couples where they did their two-day workshop of building friendship and admiration and appreciation in your relationship and also conflict management. And when they compared people who took only one of the two days, the people who did the, just the friendship day had much better long-lasting results a year later than people who did just the conflict management day. Mm. So you don't want it to be just about conflict management. You also want to have the positives because ultimately we have this emotional bank account where each time we do something positive for each other and each time we contribute and say something nice or do something that makes the other person feel seen, cared for, loved, respected, etc., it makes little deposits. Mm -hmm. And so let's say we have a withdrawal. That withdrawal might take out a bunch of those deposits, but because you have so many, you still have that overall positive balance. And that's not to say that the thing won't make you upset in that moment or won't make you feel hurt in that moment because you did just experience that, Mm. but it's not going to have the same effects a day later or hours later than it would if there was no positive balance to counteract it. Yeah. I think it's also out of Gottman's research, the five to one ratio of positive to negative interactions. And this is something that I use in my relationship with my children, my relationship with my husband. If you really like observe and take back your you know, interactions for the day that we should be having five positive interactions to every one negative, right? Also, not sure if you know this part, the five to one is in moments of conflict. Okay. In moments of conflict. Yes. The five to one is that even in moments of conflict, there are still five positives for everyone negative. So that means Mm. you're giving your partner eye contact. You're maybe smiling at them. You make like a well-meaning joke. And that's not a joke out of a way of disrespect, but you know, like sometimes like you can be silly with your partner, even when you're disagreeing about something, you touch their hand or you like rub their shoulder or you do something that is giving them positive. In moments that are not conflict, then the ratio is 20 positives to one negative. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that distinction. And it's really helpful. And to like paint a picture for people who are listening, like those positive interactions don't need to be like verbally things right. said, like, good job, proud of you, did it. Like, right. It's like, it's uh, with your partner, maybe it's like a little bum tap on the way by or a little whatever. Hey, babe, how's your day going? Like little, these right. positive check-ins. Yeah, it's just, it's even them looking up from their phone when you walk in the room. Right, Like right. as opposed to just not even noticing they came in. Mm. Or, you know, when you bring your drink to the table, bringing one for them too. Right. Or if you're going to grab a snack while you're watching TV, asking them if there's something they want. Mm. Like these positive interactions can really be you know, it could be something you say, it can be touch related, it can be the way you respond to them. It can be, you know, 
so many different little things. So in moments where you're not having conflict, you're hopefully not saying something negative. And so you're having still a lot of little positive moments. And it's about all those little moments that add up as opposed to one big thing. Mm -hmm. And I love that to leave it with the idea of you've got this bank account and you, the listener can think about right now, like, is there a positive balance in there right now? Is it feeling really depleted? Maybe there is a conversation to be had with your partner about how we can get these, you know, accounts, get some savings stocked up in there. And and maybe that looks like, you know, a talk and getting on the same page and how you want to treat each other or even like little challenges to just like surprise each other or whatever. Like right now, the one thing I can sort of relate this to is with my children for December, we do an activity advent calendar every year. And like, we have a very busy household. I am running a business. We have a major project on the go right now, actually several major projects on the go. And so I definitely miss out on time with them. But come December, we do our activity advent calendar and they get an activity out of me every day. (laughs) And sometimes I pull my hair out and question why the heck I did this to myself. We had a glow stick Christmas dance party the other day. All I had to do was order some glow sticks on Amazon, throw some music on the Google Home, and for 10 minutes, we danced to Christmas carols. Like, you know. But you're adding to their bank account with you. And so that's an example with our children. And then we can also, you know, maybe not such a overt way, but also do these things with our partner. Yeah, especially in this season when we have little kids and date night is so important in a relationship. And I hear from so many moms, but I can't do date night. I don't have a babysitter or I'm too tired to go out. And date night, going out and having a very formal type of date night can be so nice, but that doesn't need to be what date night looks like all the time, especially in this season. Date night can be at home. It can be even like if your kid's in the bouncer, it's about doing something that's intentional and meaningful Mm. with each other. So instead of just, you know, eating dinner and looking at your phones or whatever, or even just asking about work, it's like, this is a date night dinner. Like, let's talk about something a little more deeper. Let's, you know, connect more. Let's, we're doing something meaningful and intentional Mm -hmm. here. It doesn't have to be some grandiose date. And it definitely doesn't have to look the way it looked before. As a matter of fact, it probably won't for many years, right? And so- Letting go of that all or nothing thinking again, as we said, or perfectionism to find something that works for us to connect with our partner. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that as people are listening, they're like, oh my goodness, I need so much support in some of these areas. Where can they find you? What resources do you have? So you can find me over at Love After Baby. So on Instagram, the username is Love After Baby or loveafterbaby.com, where I have blogs on a bunch of different topics that come up. There are a couple workshops. There's the membership, which is you get access to the workshops, but also to live calls and a bunch of other fun things like weekly challenges Mm. and book club, things like that. So it's a great place for moms to connect with other moms who are going through similar struggles and also get more individualized support because sometimes we take a course, but we have a question of how does this apply Mm -hmm. to me or this won't work for me exactly. And that's why I love the community part and the live calls part where people can come in and share a specific struggle they're having and how can we make this work for us? Like I understand it as an idea, but I don't understand how it applies to me or how it works Mm -hmm. for me. So this is a great way to do that. I love the niche. I love the way that you're supporting moms and parents in their adjustment. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. 
Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this to go out and for moms to be able to take something tangible to make the relationship a little better. Wasn't that such a great chat with Shayna? If your relationship is struggling and it's having a hard time making this adjustment from before babies to after babies, you are not alone. And the things that are required for us to communicate as parents, sleep deprived with such high stakes decisions on the line is a totally different set of skills that we needed beforehand. Skills that some of us honestly just weren't raised with or brought up with and many that I've had to learn and practice for myself. Our mom therapists can offer relational support, whether this is individual support for you to learn how to navigate and have conversations with your partner, or whether it's couple support where the two of you come to session together. There are so many practical things that can help you individually or the both of you get back on track and feel like you are working together as a team instead of against one another. To learn more about our relationship support, head to happyasamother.co slash wellness. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where we are being joined by Kate McReynolds, a counselor and founder of The Mom Therapist on Instagram, who's joining me for a chat on how to decide when our family is quote unquote complete or whether we should add another child into the mix. This is a really big decision many of us face. I've received many DMs about. So if this is you and you're wrestling with this decision, you do not want to miss this episode. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job.